0: For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada Divorciada, Tuni Tacos, Benito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information check out Adriana's The Whole Enchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Cross Road in the Keating Plaza. This episode of Full Circle contains subject matter about sexuality and sexual abuse. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, you can always call the Vancouver Island Crisis Line, open 24-7, and they can connect you with services through the Victoria Sexual Assault Center. The number for the crisis line is 1-888-494-3888.
1: women of color who perform burlesque have reclaimed the art form. White supremacy invites fetishization and exoticization, but women of color are using burlesque to reclaim their identity, their sexuality, and their selves. And the unwritten history of people of color in burlesque makes this reclamation particularly important. You're listening to Full Circle on CFUV 101.9 FM on the Songhees and West Saanich Territories of the Lekwungen and Sanchothan-speaking peoples, also known as Victoria. On this episode, we speak with local burlesque artists about the ways that burlesque can be a tool for resisting white supremacy and what it means to this work. We reveal the important and little-known history of women of color in the origins of burlesque and then go see the show.
2: Sure. So thank you for having me. My stage name is Blue Onyx. My real name is Jen. And I've been performing all my life mostly. But in burlesque, I've been performing for the last two years as a solo artist and three years in kind of different groups. So, It has changed me by splitting me open and making me a bigger person. It has taken the parts of me that I couldn't quite keep in that box. And it's made me more in control of them and feel like, oh, I know how to use this now in the world and as a tool versus feeling a little bit scattered and all over the place. It's also changed me in the way that I've made connections that I never thought I could. As someone uh, who's on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, I never really understood connections with people deeply until I had made my entry into like yoga and burlesque kind of at the same time and when I started realizing connections are beautiful they're not uncomfortable you can have different levels of connection and it's okay it's okay to have people who you're just acquaintances with as opposed to someone you can have a heart to heart and when I realized those connections came for me as a way of revealing myself increasing those vulnerabilities but also seeing other people's vulnerabilities for who they are at the human level just gave me a whole appreciation for life. We're being exoticized anyway. No matter what we do, that's who we are. We're seen in a different light. I think that the power from burlesque and the power as being women and embracing that feminine power comes from us knowing that we're going to be exoticized and knowing how to almost make that our tool, use that ourselves versus allowing the world to use it against us. And I think sometimes, even curiosity, people don't realize that sheer curiosity and its purity can still be offensive it can still be hurtful to be on the receiving end of like what are you like that question of what is like you said objectification and it feels it makes me feel like i'm not a thing i i'm a person and i think that why does it why does it matter who we are like if you want to know my background ask me about my ancestors i'll gladly tell you i'm the dream of my ancestors i will i will tell you everything but give me the chance to tell you that story and don't objectify me as a person. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. All right. Uh, my name is Hazel Nuez or Selene Huff. <laughs> I've been dancing burlesque for two years now. Um, burlesque has really helped me uh, learn a lot about myself, like inside and who I am as a woman. Um, really helped me understand like my identity too. I can't even begin. <laughs> and like, um, I've been really like shy a lot to like before um and just I had no idea how getting out on stage and being naked and vulnerable in front of so many people would actually just really empower you like you just feel so like not afraid there's like nothing you know that's it (laughs) um when I first started of course I was I was very like you know shy I was like is this appropriate is this okay because you don't want I'm always worried about like making people uncomfortable or doing the wrong thing you know and and now it's like you know it's okay like it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to be honest it's okay to be vulnerable. I know even before I started doing burlesque I noticed that it's almost like some types of like sexualization or like sexual things that women do is like okay for some women and in some situations you know like that's just how society kind of frames it and then other times it's like oh no that's totally inappropriate or wrong and it's it's weird I I don't understand (laughs) like two years ago if you had told me that I was going to be twerking in front of like 30 people and everybody would be seeing my butt I'd be like no (laughs) that would never happen so it's been a journey for sure
4: my name is the velvet unicorn and I have been performing burlesque for three years this is actually my three-year anniversary this month. Burlesque has impacted the essential fibers of my life and like who I am as an individual and You know, from learning to love myself, especially the parts of myself that I don't want to love. um, I definitely have had some issues with, you know, loving my body. And it's really challenged me to just embrace that and celebrate the things that I don't love. And it's really been able to show me how distorted my perception of what I look like in the world um, has been for like most of my life and it's definitely been like a process like from since I started doing burlesque to where I am now three years later i still you know working through things and going deeper with learning to love myself and, and parts of myself that I don't want to see or I don't like to think that are part of who I am and um, even you know from the reconnecting to my sexuality like it I was so disconnected from my sexuality and, um, you know, I think a lot of it stems from being sexually assaulted and burlesque has really, like, provided this, like, platform for me to, like, get up and be sexy and not be afraid of being assaulted. Burlesque has given me the opportunity to reconnect with that part of myself that I feel like was kind of taken from me or, you know, I've just disassociated from because there was so much trauma and pain that um, kind of came along with uh, being assaulted um, several times. And it just kind of became this, like, my my sexuality more or less just became a service to others, I felt. It didn't really – it wasn't really – I never really felt like it was my own. I always felt like it was somebody else's, or that I was there to serve the, the needs or demands of, um, of a man, and that my sexual desires and needs were not relevant or not worthy. And so, it's been really powerful to like take back that energy and really, you know, connect with what I want. As a woman of color, I feel like I'm exoticized constantly, all the time. Like I'm walking down the street in sweatpants and I feel like I'm being exoticized. I'm in the steam room at the pool and I'm being exoticized. I'm, you know, like I just feel like it's constant. Um, And so to tell me that doing burlesque, something for me that is very healing for me for numerous reasons, that I'm perpetuating um, women of color being exoticized, I feel like that's just like bullshit. That's not really, I feel like that's a really narrow-minded judgment to make. And I would question whether or not, one, they've ever been to a burlesque show or to understand what burlesque is about. Um, because I feel like there a lot of people like to make these sweeping judgments about burlesque when they don't even know anything about it. And so, And so, yeah, I would tell them, like, who are you to judge me?
5: Okay, so my stage name is Cativa, and it, um, this is, um, it's an Italian for, like, bad, I think, bad girl or something like that. Um, because when I was a kid, I got into trouble a lot of times, and my mom called me Maldita. Maldita is a loose translation in Tagalog Spanish that means, like, naughty girl. So I said, like, Maldita is too, and there's a lot of Filipinos here, so I said, like, okay, not Maldita. I'll change it to the Italian version, which is Cativa. I feel that you go to burlesque or you want to join burlesque or do burlesque for a reason and that's something that that was a turning point in your life that's why you wanted to do it so I've seen a lot of people blossom like we are wanting ourselves as performers or persons of color we are wanting ourselves to be treated equally and for me it could be it's just like thumbing, thumbing your nose up like that. It's like in your face, so, so what? We're doing what we want, even if we're, I mean, no offense meant, but yeah, we're persons of color and we're taking our power. That's about it.
1: Everyone told us about the impact that their cultural heritage has had on their sexuality and how performing burlesque has helped them to reconnect with this aspect of themselves.
5: I mean, yeah, for me. I love the color of my skin. I've never, ever, like, oh, I want to be, you know, whiter. Uh, because in the Philippines, women, uh, there is uh, an idea that's been perpetrated probably by the media and by fashion magazines that if you're white-skinned, you belong to a higher class. I grew up in a Catholic. I was brought up a Catholic. We all went to school we went to a school that was run by nuns. And I've never been one to, you know, to follow their rules. So I asked to be transferred to a non-sectarian school. But it has a huge impact on my background because when... It's not really said, but you feel that, oh, owning up their search. They've, you see the, what's this, the discomfort from your family from people you talk to if you're like openly discussing sex and stuff like that probably because of the Catholic upbringing but yeah it's for me burlesque is empowering it's just owning up to yourself and being your real self and I've seen a lot of people who walk through the doors of you know of the studio like they look um, no confidence and stuff and you see them blossom just by performing that's awesome for me it's like the teachers have done their job burlesque help another woman or another person be themselves
2: so what i learned to be ashamed of is dancing and shaking your booty and twerking and all those things that like i wanted to do as a young girl and i saw other people doing i felt ashamed of and now i realize that a big part of our culture is poc and that the big part when you live in full poc you know um environments is that there isn't that shame It's beautiful. It's beautiful to shake our booties. It's beautiful to embrace our sexuality. It's beautiful to be sexual beings.
4: And then I think it's interesting to look through the lens of um, North American culture, Canadian culture, and how that has also impacted me. And I feel like there's quite a lot of shaming here in terms of um, people expressing their sexuality and being connected to their own sexual desires. And even talking about sex, I feel like, is pretty um taboo here and so i feel like it there's so many things that culture does to you whether it's like your blood your ancestral um culture and then uh, you know i guess on top of that your ancestral wounding but i also feel like just our day-to-day here and for me i think a big part of it too has been rape culture and i think that that is a huge part of north america and i feel like it is a global thing as well
3: i feel uh honestly like it really has Connected me just kind of more into my roots and just helped me figure out what it, what it means to be a Latin woman, really. Um, I'm still, I'm still figuring that out too, for sure. Like just learning a little bit more about myself and also uh, like, I, I love being a woman of color for sure, just because it, you know, it's just, it's, it's something I'm still, working into um i haven't always identified as a woman of color too so i'm just kind of finding my place and uh you know a lot of times people tell me that i'm not i'm not even latin or like i could be sexy but you know like you don't really count as like latin and you know you know i it's not really up for anybody else to decide other than myself right but it's really helped me reach into my roots for sure
1: Burlesque has allowed these artists to express not only their sexual identity and freedom, but their resistance against racism and the culture of white supremacy.
2: I, I, I grew up not really knowing the connection to my heritage and who I was in that sense. My mom was very, very ashamed of her background and the cultural significance of being Caribbean and being an immigrant, and so she was very, very shame filled in that, and she tried to hide it from us almost, but was always very aware of you are black. This is a part of who you are. It's what makes us unique and special. But don't let people use it against you. And so it was this this struggle for me all my life of wanting to be a proud black woman, but also feeling her shame in it, trying to move away from her own community and live in a very white community and fit in that box. And. I've now gone back a little bit to try and look at what is Caribbean sexuality and I, I very much went into deep research on what it means to be a Caribbean woman, what our religion looked like, what my family still living there looks like, what what is their practice and what I found was that the shame that we have living in North America a lot of times, that's not there.
4: Yes, I feel like it is definitely one of the antidotes to the white supremacist world and I feel like burlesque is something that is healing to watch it's healing to perform and i really think that burlesques can really change and shape the world and
5: i'm excited to see where it goes actually it's not only an antidote to the white supremacist it's also an antidote to patriarchy it's like you guys we're doing what we want and we don't care what you think right so yeah it's a true two-pronged approach but I love it yeah it makes a lot of guys uncomfortable still but you know sorry <laughs> so. deal with it Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry.
1: It's really no surprise that burlesque is a way to resist the status quo, since art tries to capture every part of a moment, involving anyone and everyone, so it can reveal the pains and problems of a time. The long history of burlesque shows it won't ever be an exception, having started its voyage to America as a theater of people of color for and by them.
2: So early on, burlesque, as I'm sure you know, like came from the European... Uh, to make fun of and to like poke fun at aristocratic society. And a lot of the time in Europe, they were um, having pantomimes to make fun of like the, the Royal theater and the, the really high end um, theatrical performances that were happening for royalty in particular. And so the poorer population would gather together and do pantomimes, which were, these old timey sort of poked fun like plays about the same topics, but with a more tongue in cheek um, geared towards that population. So they were a little bit more crass, a little bit more fun, a little bit more nudity involved. And usually there was a little bit of like gender bending as well. And so when I was in Europe living for a little while, I became quite interested in these pantomimes and I wanted to know as much as I could learn about the history of them. And what I learned was that even within the pantomime community, where they were kind of poking fun and starting their burlesque world, at that point, the people of color were still excluded. And so they had their own section of theater and they their theater was a lot more vaudeville a lot more burlesque kind of what we know today as vaudeville and it was like pantomime plus so it was like you took the pantomime that you know some of the the white performers and white actor and the poorer population were doing and they would put their own poc spin on it so there was a lot more music a lot more african type movement um, a lot more uh, gospel singing and voices and and community sense so that was what i I had learned hearing that from um, some, you know, pantomime actors who are currently working in Europe and England and their history. They had said, you know, we can't find anything written down on this. And I just it sat with me for a long time on why that history is not written. There's such a rich history on pantomiming and the history of theater and all of our performing arts within the white context and the white lens of things. And I just wanted to know more on why we didn't see that same history, and even looking for why, I couldn't find any information. And so I eventually turned to some of our POC brothers and sisters in the States, and I just said, you know, I'm I'm looking for this information, and I want sources, because I want to make sure what I'm saying is accurate and true, and that I have written references to back me up, being that I come from an academic background. that, That spoke to me as being, you know, the most important validating way to prove what you're saying. And it, it came from Lottie Ellington, who's a performer in Virginia. And she said I she went on this slave tour of Monticello in Richmond recently. And what was remarkable was that the written history that was taken of the POC and of the slaves was a rich history, if we say rich in quotation marks, in the sense that They kept records of people who were bought and people who were sold and lived and died and born and married and that sort of thing. But beyond that history, they didn't keep a rich narrative history of the people's lives and the stories and and what life was like for a slave. And so the slave tour of Monticello that she was on actually said that the verbal history that we've been passed down so that we've heard in our families and that we've heard from our teachers and our elders Is a much richer version of our history, regardless of the written record or the fact that it was written down, because we don't have or we didn't have the resources necessarily as people of color back then to be able to write, to be able to record our history, to be able to keep any sort of records other than, you know, um, there was some symboling used in some plantations that have been found. But beyond that, there's not a lot of written records, but that, that verbal history counts. And to hear that for me was extremely validating as a person of color because you feel like, well, we don't have references. We don't have sources. It's not real. It didn't happen. But we forget that so much of our history was erased or forgotten because it just wasn't seen as important or humanhood. And so that humanness of our lives was erased and shoved aside. And what we've learned through verbal history and what we've heard, all those stories, they're so much richer, but there's truth to them and there's validity. So I think it's important to understand that. Even though our references for the role of people of color in burlesque are not necessarily written down in an academic format that we can reference and write in journals about yet, that's still a valid history to hear that verbal piece and to hear that people of color were at the start. They were right there at the beginning, um, creating their own version of burlesque. And the Europeans know it best when they see that Still, sometimes we see blackface in European theater, and that's a problematic issue today, but I think that it speaks to how long the the role of people of color have been a major piece in the theatrical world and in the burlesque world. And so when burlesque started to become a thing in America, it may have been brought to this continent by a white performer, but ultimately when it reached here... It spread widely amongst the people of color. Even still, there was a lot of minstrel work happening back in the day, but it was doing a more tongue-in-cheek. So people were starting to do things like, well, you expect this from me, then I'm going to play into that stereotype and I'm going to act that way. And that in itself became a different form of burlesque that I think were not necessarily thinking of as burlesque today, but that minstrelship, those shows that were a bit more tongue-in-cheek, not the original ones that people of color were exploited for, but when it became a bit later and people of color started to know their power, when they started to play into that role, I believe that's truly when that major piece of POC burlesque started North America as well, because they played into the power of a stereotype, but reclaiming that for use in the perspective of being viewed with a white lens. The privilege of that like educational and academic background that is a bit um, systemically racist in a lot of ways because it's expected that references come in written form. And a lot of POC history comes in verbal form. And I think that what you see in POC art and POC burlesque specifically is that, that rich verbal history tends to come out a lot more in performers' performances, um, not only in the politics, but also in the movement and in the way that uh, people trans, um, in the the way that people translate their movement into art so that the audience can take it in. And not just an audience of color, but an audience of um, white people and an audience of all different backgrounds, all different privilege levels. I think that the beauty of the POC lens is that they, they consider that privilege. So performers consider what they're putting out there and they're more open to um, feedback. And I think, Velvet, you had said this and kind of nailed it on the head that there's a, there's a more open broadness to a POC lens. We don't have written history. We have performative history. We have verbal history. And I think that when you look at the legends in the making, like Brick House, like Spice, like Luminous, they're putting history on the stage and no one can deny that. And I think that even people of white privilege are confronted with that fact of something in front of them that can't be denied. And it's so strong and it's so powerful that it's reshaping our history as POC performers as we speak.
1: This is why it's important that people of color are represented in burlesque. It's more than just a dance. For its performers, their entry into the world of burlesque is a distinct memory one with an imprint of deep meaning to them.
2: When I was young, I was a dancer, and I found the dance world quite restrictive in the sense that you kind of had to be perfect and you had to fit into a box. And I never fit into that box with the lid quite closed tight. I was always kind of bursting out of the box. And at one point, I found Sally Rand fan dance video, and I was just enthralled. I had. I saw this woman doing beautiful things and thought, why does no one talk about this kind of dance? And so again, I kind of took it, hid it to myself and locked it away in my heart and didn't go back to that place until I was going through some troubles with like fertility and trying to create. And when I found that creation wasn't just about birth and children, I went back to that place I had locked away and unleashed that Sally Rand fan dance and opened my heart fully to burlesque. For me personally, where I feel my power is, my sensuality. I know that connection to my sexuality, I know what it is to be sensual. And so I think that the more we go on stages, even if it's wearing white privilege, even if it's people who might think that we're not POC, by allowing those people to see us as sexy, powerful, in control, we change their opinion a little bit. And I think that I use my white privilege so powerfully to try and hook people a little bit into who I am, and then when they get to know me a little bit more, then I kind of lay out, well, actually, I'm not a white girl. Let's talk about this. What does that mean to you? And how does that change who I am? Does it change who I am? And I think that burlesque itself gives us a venue to use our bodies as political agents and to use our bodies to show people, we're all different, we're all beautiful, and there isn't a humanic difference, there isn't a humanity level difference between all of us there is a difference in the way that we've seen each other. And I think the more we can bridge that gap and see each other as humans that are naked under our clothes, the less we worry about what are the differences.
4: I have not always felt connected to my sexuality. In fact, I've felt very disconnected from my sexuality. And burlesque has really provided this opportunity for me to reconnect with my sexuality. And I really believe connect deeper than what I have ever felt um, before. I was inspired to become a burlesque performer after seeing a burlesque performance at an event in Victoria called Electronica Erotica, and I was watching this burlesque performer just own her sexuality so authentically and deeply, and just, it really inspired me because in that moment, I realized how disconnected I was from my own sexuality, and I was like, wow, like... I can't imagine ever doing that or acting that way or what that, you know, like how I would go about doing that. But I was really inspired. Like in that moment, I was like, I know I need to do that. Like this is something that I need to do for myself. I feel like it is huge in terms of shaping my relationship with my sexuality. I mean, I'm from like a mixed ethnic background. My mother was Scottish and my father uh, Chinese. And I feel like, My mother um, in particular, she used to like slut shame me all the time, like growing up um, as a teenager for wearing like lacy um, dresses that, you know, were close to my knee length. And then in Chinese culture, I feel like, you know, a lot of the images that I've seen of Chinese women um, and just red and everything is a lot of serving men and I didn't really see any, um, strong, uh, sexually liberated Chinese women. Like I definitely didn't have that as a role model growing up anywhere.
5: Yeah. And I've been performing burlesque for close to two years now. At first I was just there for the fitness, but then I said like, maybe I should perform just to see how I like it. And i love it it is taboo in our country and i've always been one to f- buckle under convention i like breaking rules and it's just you know why should you let what other people say or what other people will judge with prevent you from doing something you really like there are no burlesque classes offered in the philippines when i left
3: yeah i know because uh even like in latin too when i do like ballroom latin dancing um i'm always being told that you know i need to uh have more movement in my hips you know cuz it's latin right and you know to be honest it doesn't come very naturally to me even though sometimes you know people would say oh because you're spanish or you're latin it, you should have an easy time doing this and i'm like well you know like i'm just not i don't know like i'm just not comfortable like i have an easier time just being on stage and really holding that space than being almost like forced to be a certain way.
1: These artists are part of an all people of color burlesque troupe in Victoria. It's called Shade, and it was started by Cherry Cheeks.
6: Yeah, so I actually find it funny that you say I created it because it's always been there. (laughs) Um, But to me, I think it's really important to know that with any kind of space that there is always going to be the people there who exist within that space. And it's just basically finding a means of creating visibility for them. Originally, I was kind of never really claimed my space as my own self, as an indigenous and Chinese woman. And mainly that's just because like I growing up, I used to be super proud of it. And then I discovered feminism and privilege. And because I'm a passing woman, I never thought I actually had the Uh, capability to actually claim that for myself and I wasn't like native enough or Chinese enough for it Um, but then I went to Bolicon a few years ago and I had some of the POC community there without me even like telling them straight up what my heritage was they just reached out to me being like hey are you a POC and they have a thing called the POC caucus which is just like a support group that they do every year and you get to chat and network with other POC and they like welcomed me instantly And like, I had heard lots of different stories from, or similar stories to mine from a lot of those community members. It's really important to to take into account uh, intersectionality because there are a lot of people, like specifically with this show as well, we have a lot of people who they're not just black or they're not just indigenous. We have a lot of mixed heritage in this show and people from the queer community and people from um, an older community or a younger community. And it's important to know how all of those different communities play into privilege and how we see people. And yeah, so this show is really important to me. It is one way for me to, well, me and the Bolas community to start to bring, um, to highlight the voices and the performances of people of color, as well as creating a space for the audience of people to be people of color and feel safe and have that space where they can claim as their own as well and celebrate life and also just bring up some conversations because this show is going to be a mix of um some more serious routines with like actual politics and messages while some of the routines may be a little bit more upbeat and just be like wow look how amazing these performers are (laughs) i i'm starting to find that when you put yourself as a leader or as a mentor in any kind of community, even in life, <laughs> um, that you tend to just like give, like, give yourself fully into that role and then you tend to notice things you didn't notice before. So I think it actually gave me the opportunity to realize some of the micro regressions or like micro comments that people have said that before I may have not thought anything about, where now I'm just like, oh, that's not, that's kind of not really the best thing to say. Um, to support POC, um, and I hope this show is definitely definitely going to help as well with making a bigger conversation for those few people who may not have had any, um, who may not have been totally aware of some of the comments they've made and how they've affected or how they can affect people. Because this show is definitely more than just a show I'm I'm starting to feel. It's like manifesting itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's creating a space to have that healthy conversation, um, whether it's about POC spaces or sex positivity or even sex workers and um, things you don't get to usually talk about very often, especially all together at once.
1: And to create truly sex-positive, safer spaces, Cherry Cheeks incorporates something called a consent captain into the show.
6: A consent captain is something that we've been seeing a little bit more of in Victoria, um, which I'm totally stoked to see Anytime I see them at a show. And that's basically someone who is a mediator. Um, Quite often, they're the first step that you want to talk to. Um, if there's any kind of conflict with another another audience member or if there's just like someone who you might feel a little, little bit uncomfortable with or if there was even maybe if you've seen a routine that might be triggering for you, we do have a consent captain on site so you can go talk to them and like they're really good at um, c- talking people down or like validating them if they need it or also stepping in to talk to somebody if they want and the goal with when we have a consent captain typically is we want people to start with conversations and quite often have people like analyze themselves and be if they did say something or do something that might not be appropriate. A consent captain's really good at creating a conversation, be like, why do you think that this was inappropriate? Um, rather than just what tends to happen a lot of the time where people just get kicked out, no consequences, like they get the consequences, but they have no real. Um, hindsight as to why that was happening or why the uh, um, behavior was inappropriate.
3: But today is my first time as consent captain, and I will be here to support all of you in this lovely space, so I'm really grateful to be here.
4: And I brought a wonderful ally with me. Uh, Who are you?
3: I'm T.M.O. (laughs) Hi, everyone. So, yeah, we are here gathered um, to support and to celebrate Uh, People of color, I am that. Um,
4: (laughs) I am a rainbow. Um, But as we all came here, um, we all agreed
3: to our safer safer spaces policy. If you need a refresher, there are some signs around, so kind of look at
6: those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we do have before the show as well, well, we do have a little segment about consent and what that means, especially in our space and how to... Um, basically how to foster healthy consent and healthy um, uh, culture around it. Um, I'm hoping this show is going to create the conversations and have people think more about privilege and think deeper about the more complex parts that we don't often hear about. Um, And yeah, so like in my show, Shade there's a very specific reason I have that name Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I chose the name shade because I want to make sure that everyone is represented, whether they're like the most visible person of color who everyone assumes like they're like, that's the only definition of a person of color all the way down to like a bunch of um, us who have been in those same positions having to like re explain like, no, I actually am a person of color. Here's all my reasons why. Um, even though we shouldn't have to we shouldn't have to prove our heritage to anybody um, because yeah, it gets our heritage. We know definitely where we're from. Um, so yeah, I just like think it's really important to have that entire full spectrum of skin colors and skin tones and back like heritage and community again um, to hopefully like one of my biggest goals with the show is I want to have somebody in the audience, see themselves on that stage because of who i have cast in the show um, and so i've been really conscious about having different body sizes different body types different skin colors like as much as i can so hopefully we can have other people feel validated or feel seen based on who we have on that stage i'm co-salish from
7: the liax and first Zicana i'm also Zicana from down in mexico um, and we wanted to start our evening tonight by recognizing that we are on the unceded territory, the Lekwong'an people, um, now known to most as the Esquimol and Esquimalt First Nations. Um, and that has become something that people hear a lot at events. Um, but I want to unpack that a little bit and talk about why we do that. For myself, it's twofold. Uh, the first reason being that my people, we are coastal people, we live on islands, we would travel by canoe. And When we would get to someone else's territory before we would pull up on shore, we'd be in our boats and we would recognize who we were and we would ask for permission before we come ashore. Can't really do that today. So it's kind of my 2019 version of asking for permission is recognizing every day where I am on my family's territory. The other reason um, is what most folks do is uh, a reminder of where we are and how we got here. Uh, The colonial violence that happened and is still happening to allow Canada to exist, to allow BC to exist, to allow Victoria to exist, and everywhere else across North America. Um, and there's a lot that comes with that reminder, and it's not just talking. And I really appreciate that you're all listening to me right now, um, because I'm gonna tell you some, some ways that you can show your you know, understanding of that, and ways that you can actually be, be helpful in unpacking uh, that violence and, Aiding and well, some people say that we're trying to decolonize, some people say we're looking for reconciliation. They're loaded statements, nobody really knows what either of those things look like. Um, but there are ways to aid and be allies to Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is by recognizing where you are for sure, but actually doing something about it. Reminding people when your friends or anyone else that you care about makes some sort of ignorant statement, call them out on it. Or call them in, you know, if that makes you a little uncomfortable, saying it right to their face, you know, send them a text or a message or an email or whatever you do in 2019. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't want your friends to be assholes, right? <laughs> so call people out on it. Um,
1: show up. So while burlesque looks like an entertaining performance to the crowd, that doesn't mean it's a shallow act to perform is to showcase and what's showcased here is in fact the dancers connecting with themselves their dynamic embrace of their bodies and their identities together in a declaration of sexuality
3: mm-hmm. yeah cuz i i know like i know a few adults that um just from another generation in general they they're all for you know feminism or women being empowered but like their views on sex workers or things like that are are not aligned, and I'm like, you know how how can you support one and not support the other? It's not, you, like, it's not like categories like pick and choose. <laughs> and I think that the more
2: we see grown ups connecting with that less wounded inner child or that healing inner child, and see people in recovery doing beautiful things, the more we feel. I can do beautiful things, I can put beauty in the world, no matter whether it's burlesque, circus, or whether it's just smiling at someone when you walk down the street. I think bringing more POC educators into our town helps to spread the idea again that we're not all kind of Beyonce doing hip-hop, listening to the same kind of music, we're not all stereotypical POC. I feel strongly, I still do, that I'll never fit in a box. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a thing. I'm not an object. And you can't put me in a nice little tidy package and say, well, there you go. That's what that is. Because I'll never fit into that package. Yeah, And, and as soon as you fit me in that little box, I'm going to burst the lid. And I'm going to come like <laughs> bursting out of it and show you that I'm more than that. So I think that the more visibility we can get out there, the more people know we're coming. Oh, Lord, they're coming.
0: Yes. Yeah. And right. we're
2: not stopping.
0: <laughs> if I lose a right now
1: will i just be dismissed right now yeah if i lose on my right now will i just be dismissed right now will i just be dismissed welcome to the sad fam club you are enough hey 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 welcome to the sad fam club baby you are enough hey hey
0: For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada Divorciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out. For more information, check Adriana's TheWholeEnchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza.
2: I am one of those lucky people. I have always felt connected to my sexuality. I remember being a very young child and remembering the first experience of masturbating and not feeling able to tell my parents. My parents are quite like religious and a bit prudish. And I just remember feeling like this is something for me. And I just I've I had that connection, and I've I've honored that
4: connection. But I feel like it's something that is, um, you know, or anyway, it's something that I was so deeply programmed to that I didn't even realize that it was not it's not okay to get raped. <laughs> I had no idea that that was like not. Um, acceptable behavior or even you know I think there's something to be said that when like you and all your friends are experiencing that and it really shapes your perception of the world and when you have your perception of the world shaped through the lens of rape culture then you you're you know you just come to expect it you don't really think that you have a choice you just kind of are like well this is the way it is and especially if nobody's telling you that there's another way. And so I, I really, you know, I'm passionate about talking about rape culture because I I know what I went through, and this was, like, before the time of social media. And, like, I can't even imagine what these girls are going through that are getting raped and being put on um, social media and having, like, all their peers witness this happening. Like, that's just... Horrific, but um, I think that, that is a huge part of Canadian culture and it's something that we don't want to talk about, but is really important to be talking about.
5: It's just, I'm just happy that here you don't get, um, what do you call this? You don't get uh, um, shamed by being comfortable with knowing what your sexuality is, as, as opposed to from other cultures. I divorced my husband and it was like it opened the gates for me because when we were still married he was supposed he was supposed to my going to burlesque oh really not because of the stripping or i mean the, the the dance itself but because it was expensive in a sense i've always been the how do i say this i've always been the black sheep of the family i've always been the one to separate from the pack I always like breaking rules. I like shocking people just for the heck of it. And I've always been irreverent when it comes to religion. Um, I would just like to say to all the ladies, persons out there, that just do what you want. Like, Don't think about what other people will say. Just do what you want and it's very freeing and liberating. And. I salute all of my burlesque friends because it takes a lot to perform on stage and, you know, tease and remove your clothing for everybody to see. You're vulnerable. You're, sho- you're putting it out there. So, yeah, do it. Don't think about it. Do it.
1: Yeah. Even though burlesque began with people of color, they have since been pushed out from it and only allowed to participate as racist caricatures, not as expressions and explorations of the self. That's why the growing presence of people of color in burlesque today is important. The reclamation of an art becomes an outlet for truth, for people of color to express everything from their creativity to their life stories. This episode of Full Circle was produced by Kami Craig with help from Melanie Loon, may Yuan, and Yukari Peerless. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thank you to all of our guests on this episode. Velvet Unicorn, Blue Onyx, Cat Tiva, Hazel Nuez, and Cherry Cheeks. This program would not be possible without the generous support from the Community Radio Fund of Canada. If you like this episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Give me your ear. Let's uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFUV's podcasts.
8: Hi, this is Serena with CFUV 101.9 FM. I just wanted to share with you how wonderful a time I've had this past year being a volunteer working on CFUV's Taking Up Space podcast. Um, I find that uh, narrative... Uh, podcasts are such a great space for sharing the voices of marginalized folks and communities um, in particular, working on the hormone monster podcast was such an amazing experience and not only did I get to share some really enthralling and eye opening uh information with you all um I also learned quite a bit about my own body and you know the ways that uh our hormones really just play around with uh how we interact with the world. Uh, that episode was so eye-opening and so validating for me, especially as a transgender woman. Um, beyond that, um, yeah, I just found that working on these podcasts was such a really cool experience. Um, I learned so many skills that I'm able to now apply into my own artistic practice. Um, and yeah, it I really can't really can't say enough about how great of an experience it's been um if you're interested at all in volunteering i would highly recommend uh, getting in touch with the folks here at cpv thanks
7: if you like this episode check out taking up space's episode about representation of women in stem it's called the leaky pipe women in stem For more than 20 years, Adriana has set the standard in Victoria for delicious Mexican food. They are the only large-scale manufacturer of corn tortillas and chips on Vancouver Island. Adriana's The Whole Enchilada has daily specials. Enchilada de Forciada, Tuni Tacos, Bandito Burger, Taquito Feliz, and more. Did we pick up your curiosity for more Mexican meals? Pick up and take out! For more information, check Adriana's thewholeenchilada.com or come to 2140B Keating Crossroad in the Keating Plaza.